Dama friends, uh, today I would like to talk about a uh, topic about be happy. <laughs> In other words, happiness here and now, because this is our theme. Be happy, it means actually right now. <laughs> <laughs> not wait <laughs> until uh, maybe next year. I think this is part of your constitution here in the United States. Your constitution is so that uh, uh, you have the right of, to life, <laughs> liberty, and to pursue happiness. Yes, so there's somewhere happiness out there. <laughs> And you are here. So you have a right to pursue it. I heard that uh, in Europe, they had uh, this kind of a donkey and a carrot in front of it, dangling like this. And then they used to tie it to a cart, pulling merchandise. And then uh, it will follow after the carrot. The more it runs, the more the carrots go. <laughs> And then the more it pulls the luggage, and finally, <laughs> it never catches <laughs> the carrot. So, do we put our happiness like carrots in front of a donkey? <laughs> so, this is a question for you to answer. Because actually, our mindset regarding happiness can make a difference between uh, uh, getting free and also getting caught up, being in bondage. So it's a mindset, what you mean by happiness, and how to search for happiness, and where to search for happiness. Are you searching happiness in the wrong place, or in the right places? Or are you searching happiness at the cost of others? So all these are very important questions. Um, there is a Hindu legend uh, that goes like this. Many years ago, according to Hinduism, they have what we call uh, Mahabrahma. They are God. And then this great God gave happiness to people, or they say divinity. And the people abused it. And then he was not very happy. And they decided to consult other gods, small gods, and say, where can we actually withdraw this divinity or happiness from people? They, are, they have misused it. So suggestion came up. The first suggestion was to hide it in earth so that people won't see it. But then um, Mahabrahma said, no, people are going to bring, to bring bulldozers and they, they will find it. And then they tried another way. Say, let us hide it in a mountain. That was another suggestion. And then Mahabrahma said, no, 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 people are going to Climb the mountains, mountain climbers. 
Even people have been to Everest. <laughs> you know? They'll get it. So he said, no, let us find another way. So another way was to hide it in deep oceans, deepest point, so that people don't, will not find it. But still, Mahabrahma said, you know, people are going to dive, and they will get it. By the way, in my, one of my reincarnations, I was a, a diver, scuba dive instructor. <laughs> I was looking for something like that, of that sort. But I gave up. I didn't find it. That's why I think I'm a monk. <laughs> I, I couldn't find it after two years, staying in a resort in Thailand for two years. I was suffocated, super saturated, <laughs> super, super, super. <laughs> and then I, I gave up that job. Anyway, uh, they had to think, where really to hide happiness? Mahabrahma came up with an idea that let us hide it in human mind. They will not even bother to find it. <laughs> As the legend goes, <laughs> up to now people are trying to find happiness. They cannot find it. They do all sorts of things. They go for vacations. By the way, I'm not anti vacations. <laughs> I have my vacation. Usually I go for a meditation <laughs> at Forest Refuge. That's, that's my holiday. In case you're wondering what monks do for holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we do lots of things we sing, we dance by the way I'm not against those things but anyway are we searching happiness from outside or from within that's another question for you to answer so it's very interesting that the Buddha discovered where they have hidden it the first person to discover it in the mind was the Buddha. He came at the scene. Uh, there were so many philosophers those days. Everybody was busy philosophizing, metaphysics, lots of thoughts. Even Western philosophy was about the same time. In China, people were bubbling with a lot of philosophies. And the Buddha came around that time, uh, 6th century. And then he said, you know what? <laughs> it's all in the mind. And then in Dhammapada, he said that all actions are led by the mind. Mind's their chief, mind's their make, uh, maker. Act or speak with the impure state of mind and suffering will follow you as uh, the... I don't know if you know the, this image about the the cart pulling the I mean the ox pulling the the cart, right? So it's I don't know I haven't seen it in the USA but maybe in <laughs> in Asia you see it a lot. So he said that suffering will follow you as the wheel follows the hoof of the ox that pulls the cart. So here's the distance there. <laughs> There's a distance there between the wheel and the, the hoof hmm, of the ox. So most people do something uh, and think that, oh, they will get away with it. Maybe hire a good lawyer or just drown yourself in a lot of pleasures and forget about suffering. But sooner or later, <laughs> uh, suffering 
will catch you, right? Will catch you through remorse, regret, and all this fear also to be caught. So whether you go to, to let's say, to Iceland after doing something unskillful, still you are with your mind, isn't it? The second one, the second Dhammapada phrase, it says that all actions are led by the mind. Mind is their maker. Act or speak with a pure state of mind. That means the general state, having kindness, compassion, and wisdom. And happiness will follow you as the shadow falls you without departing. So there's a very interesting uh, implication in this image. The shadow falls you without ever departing. So now, when you look at the immediacy, the immediacy of the shadow, huh, there's no gap. That means you get happiness right there. Have you ever seen a diff the distance between you and the shadow? No, there's no distance. So that means happiness is immediate there. That's why my topic is be happy. Not wait ne until next year. Then also there's an implication there uh, about the shadow. The shadow is always light. Eh? It's not like the first uh, phrase where uh, the cart eh, is so heavy and this ox is pulling it. Here you are dragging your shadow and it's very light. So now, raise your hand if you have ever had problems with carrying your shadow. It's very light. No? <laughs> so, you see that actually Happiness is available. Help yourself to eat, you know, it's available. It's maybe the way we pursue it that really makes it difficult for us to access it. And also I think what I found out uh, after traveling a little bit, uh, I go to Uganda, there's good weather, but people complain a lot. I say, go, go to Vermont, where it's cold. <laughs> I think I should, if I had enough money, I would really take people who complained somewhere. <laughs> and it's okay, stay there for a month and come back. <laughs> Even in USA, people complain. And I'm telling you, you guys, you are very lucky. In USA, you're, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> but still, there's always something to complain about. Every part of the world I've seen, there's something to complain about. I t one time I went to Bolivia. Uh, I spent one year in South America, and I went to Brazil, Bolivia, and Chile. I visited a, a, a mine, a silver mine in Potosi. And then you had to go like this and enter. And then the workers are very unhappy. They have to take a coca all the time. It's so miserable, dark, and all this. That time I say, okay, I'm very lucky. <laughs> I'm very lucky. Really, I'm not working in these mines. Really. So, I mean, if you feel there's a lot of suffering uh, in the world and all that, you might want to consider other people who are even suffering more than you. Yes, it's good to really kind of discern so that at least you start focusing on your mind, inclining your mind towards happiness. Because most of, it, most of us, we are always complaining of what we don't have. 
And we spend most of the time complaining, complaining about problem. I'm not saying there's no problem in the world. But we actually even forget the happiness that's available. Maybe good health. And in fact, the Buddha spelled out a few kinds of happiness. One cap- uh, there are four kinds of happiness. Happiness of ownership, economic security. Right? So that's one kind of happiness. Happiness of wise use of what you have earned skillfully. You can uh, enjoy that kind of happiness. Another kind of happiness is the happiness of having no debts. Right? You, you, you look around and you reflect, oh, nobody's going to knock on my door asking me money. So that's another kind of happiness. You can rest in that awareness that you have no debts, you're debtless. And then the fourth kind of happiness is the happiness of blameless, blamelessness, you know. You look at your sila, your ethical conduct, you haven't done anything wrong. You haven't stolen anybody, you haven't committed, committed sexual misconduct and all this kind of thing. You haven't killed. So you can actually use those reflections to be happy. So this is very interesting, actually, that... Uh, we can enjoy our happiness. However, most of us, I think we have set up our life always to seek happiness from outside, which is okay, actually. There's no problem. Also, I have to go and get some meals. Some of you, you have given me, given me some food. <laughs> yes, there's no doubt about it. I go with my arms bow, smaller than this. <laughs> this is too big. <laughs> I wonder when somebody would carry this one. <laughs> if to the <laughs> Actually, some traveling monks have a big one. Yes, uh, not this big, but... <laughs> Actually, the idea that whatever belongs to us should fit there. So next time when you see me going for arms round for my food, you know that all the possessions of a monk... <laughs> should fit in that thing. So it's multi-purpose. Our clothes and a few things we own should fit there and we move. So anyway, uh, still, though we have a few things, we are happy, actually. We are happy. But most of us, we have kind of invested invested a lot of our energy into actually uh, external things. And we actually bank on external things, relationships, of course, we understand you get some happiness, um, and f- like stock exchange and all these things. And if it crashes, we want also to crash our life. So for me, I think I see those things as a means to the end, not as the end in itself. I think if we use those things or external things as the means to the end, then there should be no problem. But if you think that's the end and you don't practice other ways of get, be, getting happy and you just bank on, on external conditions, uh, then I think we are not going to be ultimately happy. We will some, get some excitement and some happiness, but short-lived. We want to really uh, cultivate happiness from within. I think that's the best way to do Okay, those things the Buddha said, but uh, the Buddha's actually uh, f- 
uh, teaching is all actually geared towards happiness. The first discourse the Buddha uh, gave is called the Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Path. And he said clearly that uh, this is the path that leads to peace. In this tradition, we use the word peace uh, and happiness interchangeably. Yes. So when you have peace, chances are you are happy and the other way around. So he said that this is the path that leads to peace, to knowledge, higher knowledge, and uh, enlightenment, and ultimate enlightenment or awakening. That means nibbana, the ultimate peak of happiness. So that's what he said at the very beginning. Then uh, he, spelled it, he spelled it out for us. If you want to be happy, that's the path to follow. I think in my talk, I want actually to show you each factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, how it, it leads to happiness. Because I know most of you have read it. And actually, it's on the entrance there. When you enter the rock, <laughs> I want to call it the rock. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see it wise and view. I mean, we take it for granted and we roar it. But I just feel that most people actually, maybe they haven't understand it, understood it deeply, actually. So my talk will approach this noble eightfold path from a theoretical point of view and practical point of view. So I'll start with the theory. Huh? So right, the, the noble eightfold path, the first one, right understanding, uh, then right thought, then right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So I'm sure you know all of this by heart now. Huh? Do you know that? You don't know? <laughs> right. If you want to be happy, that's the, what you have to do. You have to fall. Follow the noble eightfold path. Now, samaditi, that's the Pali word, right view or right understanding. So I'm going to play with some words here. Right understanding, standing under your experience. Yes, it's very, very important. So, it has to be your experience. How you experience life? Can you tell me? Somebody raise your hand. Somebody raise the hand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, how's it for you? You came here and meditated, and uh, what's, how's it going? <laughs> Check in. <laughs> actually, I'm surprised, actually. Uh, really, uh, the way how you practice, um, some of you are beginners. I think that's wonderful. It's not that easy, actually. Even when you're trying to seek for happiness, it's uh, some eggs here and all this and that. But do we understand those eggs? Or we just want to reach out for ibuprofen? <laughs> this is our usual way of reacting to pain. Eh? 
Oh, yes, at the end of this seat, I'm just going to go there <laughs> and look for painkiller. <laughs> Good luck. So in right view, all right, uh, then the Buddha, or right understanding, the Buddha talked about the Four Noble Truth, the truth of suffering, and the truth of cause of suffering. I'm not going to use Pali because <laughs> I understand there are new people here, and uh, so I'm not going to use Pali. <laughs> this is a very simple talk, <laughs> right? So... Uh, then the, the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering, which is called Nibbana. And uh, I think allow me to use a little bit of Pali. <laughs> because the English word doesn't speak to me. The Pali word is Niroda. Eh? Niroda. Eh? I think we have our teacher here who has an organization. The whole organization is called Niroda Trust. Right? Isn't it? Yes, yes. The Pali word is so beautiful. Roda means prison. Ni means not. So no prison. That's the noble truth. The, the, third, the third noble truth. If you want to get out of the prison, <laughs> you have to practice that. So remember that Pali word, ni, roda. Hmm? No prison. So that's the cessation, the cessation of suffering. That means ultimate happiness. Now the fourth noble truth, which is called uh, uh, the, the, the noble truth of the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. So actually that's what I'm going to talk about. One by one, showing you where the Buddha mentioned one by one that this path leads to happiness. So now we start with, uh, of course, the, uh, the, right, uh, the, the, the noble truth of, of suffering. When the Buddha spelled out this one, he started with the normal kind of suffering. And uh, uh, you know all this kind of suffering, birth is suffering, uh, aging, and all these things. I'm not going to go through that because I know already you know that. But I want to tell you what the Buddha said. When somebody is trained and another person is not trained. So if you are trained and you, uh, you have gone under a kind of a training, and then you actually look at suffering uh, without emotion, commotion, actually what will happen is that you gain faith. You gain faith that, oh, there's a way out of this mess, right? It's so like when the, 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 uh, they open the door out of the prison and say, okay, you go home. <laughs> then you feel so happy. You be, feel confidence that actually there's a way how to go, right? So the same thing when you really look at suffering with mindfulness and understanding, we know, oh, there is a way out of it, and you gain confidence. The Buddha mentioned this in one sutta. Uh, there's one sutta, he mentioned it. Um, it's in Sanyutta Nikaya, where he said that uh, when you see suffering, and then you know that there's a way how to go out of this suffering, you gain what you call faith and confidence. And then from faith to confidence, that's kind of an exit. It's like when you're driving and you go out of it, exit. So the Buddha said that once you gain faith and confidence, you gain what we call gladness. In Pali words, it's called pamoja. When you gain gladness, 
you actually gain what we call pity. That's joy. Then once you have joy, you gain what we call tranquility, pasadi. And when you have tranquility, you gain what we call uh, sukha, which is happiness. Then uh, when you gain happiness, you gain concentration. This is very important. When you gain happiness, you gain concentration. Most of our meditators here, they think that first they'll gain concentration and be happy. (laughs) That's not the way how it's given, actually. So that's why whenever I teach people about meditation, I say, okay, breathe in happiness, breathe out happiness. So that they get used to really uh, cultivating happiness, and then concentration is going to be natural. It's going to be the outcome of really uh, cultivating happiness. Right? So now when you gain concentration, which is uh, samadhi, uh, then the Buddha said that uh, you see things as they, they are. Yatabu tanyana dasana. Some translation, people say, uh, you see things as they, they become. That's okay also. And then when you see things as they really are, eh? not with emotion commotion, with emotion commotion, you actually uh, go to another mind state, which is called nibida which is disenchantment, disenchantment, or disillusioned. Now, a Pali word, nibida, is very difficult to understand. Nibindati, uh, that's a verb. Oh, I said I won't say Pali, but sometime I, I have to really say it because it seems to be like a negative term, disenchantment. But actually, it's not because you have already gained some kind of concentration and also you are seeing things as they really are. So it's not a negative term. It's actually more of turning away from, uh, from, the, uh, from uh, craving, actually, for object that maybe that is leading to unhappiness. So, and then another mental state that follows that is called uh, viraga. Viraga. Raga is like a gluing, glue, super glue. Do you have super glue here? In Uganda we have. Something that glues tightly like this. Tightly. So now with viraga, that's not gluing, that means you're able to let go. Things that cause suffering. And then another mind state uh, that goes, uh, comes after that is called vimuti, which is uh, liberation. But I would like to say distinction between, uh, between disenchantment and dispassion. So by just uh, giving you maybe some kind of... Uh, uh, an example. You know when a dog, a dog you give it like a throw bone to a dog, yeah? it thinks there's a lot of fresh around it. And then it goes and grabs the, the bone and start eating it, eating, eating. And then, I'm telling you, it exerts a lot of, of effort. When it's eating the bone, it turns it, it turns it. But at some stage it gets tired. <laughs> Isn't it? Have you seen a bo- uh, dogs eating a bone? The tan 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 saliva is going here and there. <laughs> but all of a sudden, it doesn't find it satisfactory and just throw it. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly, if you understand this explanation, the same what happens to life. Yeah. 
you throw it away, oh, it's not bringing a lot of satisfaction. I remember when I was a kid, I used to build castles, right? I don't know what you do, kids, here, but me in Africa, <laughs> we kids, what we do, we build the castles and then people kick, kick the castle. We would cry and we really get bitter about somebody who has kicked our castle. <laughs> but do you think now I can build a castle <laughs> and then you kick it and I get angry? No. Uh, it doesn't make sense for me. For me, when I was building this castle, I thought one day I'm going to be there, staying there, you know. <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing, but now, forget about it. Throw it. Even, okay, I think here you eat candies, you know. When you were young, we used to eat candies here. Did you used to eat candy? Eh? And then you would cry, you know, the candies or ice cream, I don't know. <laughs> but now you have grown up. I mean, candy is a good recipe for going to a dentist. <laughs> So we don't really kind of reach out so much for candies. So we actually kind of have viraga for candies, you know? So that's the distinction. So what's very interesting, that every factor of the Noble Eightfold Path leads that way. And Buddha said that those mind states that I've mentioned, he compared it to to rain when it, uh, it falls to the, on the uh, top of the mountain. It goes down, and there's some kind of river rates, and then it goes to the river, then it goes to ocean. It just do it automatically. It just don't go like up there going like that. So in other words, if you do your practice, as I'm going to mention some of the things, so you actually be rest assured that happiness is going to arise from within. Have that confidence. And be, be happy. Right, so that's what the Buddha mentioned about the right understanding uh, of the noble truth of suffering, the, the, the first noble truth of suffering. So that means when you practice the noble eightfold path, the first factor can lead to happiness. Not only happiness, it can lead also to liberation also, as you have seen all those factors. Now we go to, uh, of course, you know, right understanding of love karma, right understanding of skillful and what, uh, as unskillful, skillful, unskillful states of mind and their roots. So I don't want to burden you with theory, but I just want to take you uh, slowly by slowly to see how each factor actually contributes to happiness. So the next one is called right thoughts, Samma Sankapa. So there's thoughts of generosity. Uh, thoughts of uh, loving kindness, thoughts of uh, compassion. So that's the positive side of it, uh, but uh, they are stated in negative terms. Thoughts of non-greed, thoughts of non-hatred, thoughts of non-cruelty, non-cruelty. So uh, this is a negative side of them, but I would like to to focus on the positive side. Like, for, for instance, generosity. When you practice generosity, how do you feel? The first time, actually, when you give things, you feel like deprived, isn't it? But what's amazing is when you give, you feel so happy. It has a boomerang effect. It comes back, you know. Especially if you know what to do. The Buddha recommended us when we give something, before giving, we reflect. 
before giving. During giving, also you make a reflection. And then, after giving, also you recollect. This is very, very important. Because most people say, oh, this is practice of generosity. I mean, right thought, ah, no, no, let us go to right mindfulness. Right thought, no, no, no. It's not so important. It's less. <laughs> it's not very powerful state, you know. So now, the Buddha also gave some teaching on how you can reflect on your generosity when you give. You reflect. In fact, when you come to meditate, if you have given me food, hmm, when you come here, I advise you not to watch the, fast your breath. Just reflect, oh, I gave some food to Venerable Buddha Rakita, and he's now healthy, and all that. And then once you reflect on that, oh, now I'm able to let go. I, had, I was keeping my chocolate in my room, I gave it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's enjoying it. You will be amazed how you'll be happy. Before you are struggling with your breath like this. <laughs> but now you feel happy. Ah, I've let go my attachment to that chocolate. And chances are that Bante Buddha is enjoying it. I enjoy it. You'll be amazed how your meditation is going to. It's not going to be the same. Actually, this is serious, actually. This is serious stuff. It's, <laughs> I'm not just... Eh? It's mentioned in the scripture that you have to reflect on your generosity. But the problem, people, when they give something, they forget. And when they come to meditate, they just say, oh, dependent origination, what? All this complicated teaching. And they leave simple things there. I tell you, when I come to meditate, me, first thing I think, oh, I'm breathing in happiness. Breathing it out, happiness. Like this, very simple. Very simple teaching. Huh? Now, generosity is very important practice. Uh, and So the way you do it also is very important. Uh, because it's a very powerful practice, especially in Asia, actually. It's part of generosity, part of gratitude. It's also contentment. That means uh, you, are, uh, you are satisfied or you accept the, accept the contents of your life. So then it's very powerful practice. They make even a ritual, a ceremony out of it. And in fact, in Africa, the way we practice generosity is like this. When we give something, we give with two hands like this. That means you are totally giving. Thus we do that. I, I lived in Asia for 10 years. Now... It's 10 years I've spent in Asia. It's amazing how similar to African culture of giving. If your hand cannot reach in Africa, we do like this. And then we give with two hands. That means total surrender. Not one hand, give, and one hand. May I have it? I think I should have had it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it happens maybe when you have so many clothes in your dress and all that in a closet and then maybe you check it out and you want to give, uh, give away maybe and then you get it out like this oh <coughs> maybe this one i put it on christmas <laughs> maybe on Budamas, and then you walk down halfway and it's oh no no i'm going to, i'm just going to give part of it <laughs> 
So this kind of giving with one hand, I'm not saying uh, you have to follow this. Uh, if that's your culture, it's okay, enjoy it. But I'm telling you, <laughs> African culture and Asian culture, this is how we give. We don't give with one hand because it means one hand is not, <laughs> might want it. <laughs> the worst kind of giving is this, help yourself. <laughs> That's not the practice. <laughs> there is yet another kind of giving. Giving only things that we don't want. That, this giving is the way to happiness. So you have to respect it. You have to respect it. right? You have to give respectfully. And also... Don't uh, just abandon things. In fact, most time I give things to people. As a monk, I give things, usually books. <laughs> like this book I give. And I get many books, actually. So now, people ask me when I give them, you mean you don't like it? I say, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm giving you because I like it. <laughs> That's the tendency that most of us we give things only we don't want, when we don't want it. That's not called giving. It's called abandoning. Yes. That's what it's called. Okay, let's continue. <laughs> Compassion. Compassion, that's another uh, thing that leads to happiness. And we should practice compassion. Yeah? The, the quality of the heart that it, uh, really trembles when it, uh, it's faced with the uh, uh, suffering of others. So we should cultivate that heart and we'll be happy. And uh, we should balance actually compassion with wisdom because we already have right understanding, you remember? It has to be balanced with wisdom. And as I always say that uh, uh, compassion is wisdom in action and wisdom is compassionate at rest. So we should actually practice this way. Because if we actually practice only compassion, we are going to get burned out. And if we practice wisdom only, we are not going to lift a finger to help other people. So it's very, very important. Remember, um, compassion is wisdom in action, and wisdom is compassion at rest. You'll be happy. You'll be still helping others and practice. And the practice of metta loving kindness is also very important. That I, I know you've been practicing this, as yesterday I taught you, reflect on the good things you have done. First, I have to reflect, oh, what have I done? Oh, I, uh, I've done this one. Actually, generosity is also actually what we call meta in action. Right? There's meta in thoughts. We cultivate here meta in speech, when you speak kindly, in a kind speech, and meta in action. So you need to practice meta loving kindness. So that's a uh, um, uh, way how to go. Again, many suttas in Diga Nikaya, Majima Nikaya, and uh, many, many suttas where the Buddha said that when you actually overcome these mind states like uh, greed and hatred and, and all these things, actually you, your mind will be glad. And from gladness to, uh, to pity, joy, I'm not going to repeat that process. You know it already. So let us go to uh, the next one. It's called right speech. Right speech is to abstain from telling lies, 
If you tell lots of lies, you are not going to be happy. You are not going to be happy. Even white lies, <laughs> a fib, you won't be happy. I, I always say that the ability to tell a lie is a liability. Again, I'm playing with words. <laughs> it's a liability. Because before you tell a lie, you have to think a lot. That's a waste of energy already. And then you are, when you're talking, there's a lot of stress. Actually, there's a machine that tests whether you're telling a lie or not. Or what they do is to test the tension, the stress you go through. And they know, that, they know oh, that's a lie. And after telling a lie, you actually start having anxiety, fear that you'll be caught. A lot of unhappiness involved in telling a lie. I'm not saying that you're telling a lie, but I'm telling you the, really the way to happiness, basically. You tell the truth, the opposite, and you'll be free. There are many unintentional lies, of course, but here you should not tell a deliberate lie. So there is abstaining from harsh speech. That harsh speech, that means you, t uh, you, tell, you tell what's kind. Also abstaining from divisive speech, that means you actually talk in a way that is harmonious. And also useless speech, abstaining from uh, useless speech, that means talk what's meaningful. So that also brings a lot of happiness. The Pali word, pisunya wacha, that means uh, in Pali, uh, not to talk that uh, talk that is going to bring friendship to nothingness. You know sunyata means emptiness? So if you talk that is going to destroy people and separate them, so that's not going to bring happiness because people are going to hate each other. So divisive speech is not encouraged, but uh, speak what uh, brings people to unity. So again, uh, there's uh, next to that is right action, which means action, uh, you abstain from killing, abstain from stealing, and, sec and uh, abstaining from sexual misconduct. So now, this is all interesting because the Buddha said in one discourse, he said that when you practice sila, ethical conduct, you are going to be free from remorse. Once you have freedom from remorse, then you are going to slide in those mental states I've already told you. Freedom from remorse leads to gladness, leads to pity, joy, and it keeps on going, actually. It's like snowball effect. So we should know that each factor is very important. Of course, uh, when you respect life, you respect other people's uh, property, and uh, you, you, you respect the relationship in right action, you'll be happy. That's definitely no doubt about it. Now we go to another interesting, uh, another interesting uh, mental state in Noble Eightfold Path. So we finish some of them, but let's go to the next one. It's called right livelihood. Okay? The, that means the way you earn your living should not uh, cause harm to yourself, others, and both. It's very, very important if you want to be happy. Because most of the time people earn their living 
by harming others, harming the society, harming the environment. So then they create unhappiness. So this is very, very important. Buddha mentioned clearly happiness that is de derived from wise expenditure. When, when you earn your wealth, you make use of it in a very wise way, and that can bring a lot of happiness, provided, provided you earn it in a lawful way. Lawful way. And this is how the Buddha uh, uh, encouraged people who are uh, lay people and all these people who want to be happy. He said that if you want to be happy, uh, don't engage in a livelihood that deals with the selling of weapons, weapons, bombs and all that, known to sell uh, like uh, poison, uh, then animals, and uh, this kind of de selling human beings and also liquor, alcohol. So he said that these things lead to unhappiness. So this is very, very important to check the way you lead your life. Then the sixth factor is called right efforts. The effort to prevent unskillful states of mind from arising, and also the effort to overcome them if they have arisen. Then another kind of effort is actually to uh, develop, develop, uh, skillful states of mind and maintain them. That's the fourth effort. Again, that also leads to happiness because once we actually get rid of greed, hatred, and delusion with our mental effort, then we are going to be glad. We are going to uh, go into the same uh, mind states that I've told you. Now we go to right mindfulness. Right mindfulness, already our, our teaching team here gave a beautiful talk about right mindfulness. I don't have to talk about it. So that's very good. If I have to talk about mindfulness, I just want to remind you the purpose of mindfulness. The Buddha spelled it out clearly. It also leads to happiness. Right? So this is like a happiness project, actually, <laughs> because we have all the stuff with us. Eh? Mindfulness. He said that this, this is the only, the only way, because for the over, for purifying of beings, for the purification of beings, the Pali word is called sata which means actually, literally, it means beings who are craving. <laughs> That's a, a definition, according to the Buddha. A being is called a being because it's craving. <laughs> so now if you practice mindfulness, that means you're going to drop the craving <laughs> and you'll be happy. Now he say for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of pain and grief, for the, over, uh, for the disappearance, of, disappearance of sorrow and lamentation, and for reaching the path, the noble path, the noble eightfold path, the mundane path, those are different levels of enlightenment, and for realizing Nibbana, the ultimate happiness. So now those are four benefits of practicing mindfulness. So it's like uh, you go to Walmart. Have you been to Walmart? <laughs> you buy one, you get one free. 
<laughs> now here, you buy one, you get for free. <laughs> you purify your mind, you are good to go. <laughs> you will be happy. If you want to be happy, help yourself with mindfulness. So mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of mind states, mindfulness of mental objects. In the Dhammapada, actually, the Buddha mentions very clearly, he said that one who sees the five aggregates, uh, I think you know them already, <laughs> form, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness, those are the five aggregates, what you call yourself. It's called five aggregates, subject clinging. So he said that in the Dhammapada, one, sorry, one who sees these five aggregates as, when, as changing, right? As changing, that means impermanent. One who knows, to, to one who knows, this is joy and happiness. So in other words, even observing this process, this process, actually this process is just a verb, not nouns. What we are is just like verbs, actually. The body and feelings, just everything is changing. So he said that when you know that, that things are changing, you'll be happy and joyful. Can you believe that you can get high on seeing your process? <laughs> you get high. Do you believe that? <laughs> well, <laughs> better try. Maybe <laughs> you think going for vacation at Rio de Janeiro is going to bring you happiness. The Buddha said it's right here. <laughs> Enjoy. Help yourself. <laughs> it's amazing. Eh? Even actually the fourth foundation about five, um, the five hindrances, if you, you focus on them and then you, 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 you see the presence of the five hindrances, the, the, their absence, and then you start sliding into gladness because you are free from hindrances. Then you'll be happy. No need to buy happiness or spend a lot of money. You just enjoy from here. That's why I say be happy. Okay, that's mindfulness. Let's go to concentration as our last link uh, for happiness. Uh, this is very interesting. It's a little bit involved to explain what is the right concentration, but I tell you it's the four jhanas, which is meditative, uh, states, uh, meditative absorptions. Absorptions, that means uh, those are deep states of concentration. There are four of them. I'm not going to spell them out, but I'm just going to tell you the happiness you get out of that. The first one, quite secluded from sensual desires and unskillful states of mind. Uh, that's how the formula goes. One attain uh, the first jhana. Again, uh, I'm not going to explain it because it's a lot already there. So, but the Buddha said there's happiness of seclusion. Is called, you know, there are many seclusions. There's Chikaya, Viveka, which means physical seclusion. And then there's Chitta Viveka, which means seclusion of the mind. So when your mind is secluded from sensual desires, pleasures, and other unwholesome skillful states of mind, you become very, very happy. That's the first one. And then the other concern, another journey is about happiness due to concentration, 
Again, the third jhana is happiness due to mindfulness and equanimity. Then the fourth jhana is happiness due to purity of equanimity and mindfulness. Just that's what I have to do because it's a topic which takes another one hour to talk about jhanas and right concentration. But I wanted to point to you that each factor of the Noble Eightfold Path leads to, leads to happiness. So you can enjoy that ha- internal happiness, and once you enjoy that internal happiness, the rest is going to be easy. Sometimes, for me, when I meditate and sometimes I miss a meal because of my traveling, I don't make it a big deal. Right? <laughs> but people can make it a big deal, you know? So, I, of course, I, I don't want to miss around four meals. <laughs> right? It might become a big deal because of the rising of sugar and lowering, lowering of sugar blood levels. Uh, so... Friends, this is the Noble Eightfold Path, and now that's the theory. Now we'll let us do it practically. Now, this is the practice. I would like you to take a deep, slow breath. Sit comfortably. Okay. Just by over-experiment, I would like you to put your hand here. I mean your finger here. Put your finger here. And take a deep, slow breath. Take another one. Another one. Okay. Now you can see. Now we are in practicals. We are going to do practicals of the Noble Eightfold Path, right? To be happy. Now, do you know that? To some extent, you have practiced the Noble Eightfold Path in every breath. I'm going to spread it for you now. Let us start already. You've taken the, 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 the five precepts, right? You have already taken the five precepts. That means uh, right, right speech is there, part of it actually, because in five precepts, you take the precepts not to, to, to lie, Musava, Dawira, Manisika, Padam. But anyway, let us say that you took some precepts and then you are not killing, you are not stealing and all this. So that means you are practicing already right action, right? And also right speech. And also right livelihood. Three of them you have already, you, you are practicing. The third, which is right livelihood, is that you are seated here on a cushion and you are self-employed here on a cushion. <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything. You are self-employed. Right? So you have right livelihood, let us say. Now, what's remaining is actually right mindfulness and right understanding and right effort and right concentration right? and uh, right thought. So now I'm going to tell you that you're actually practicing a lot already because when I told you to observe the breath and then you, bre- you, you start breathing out, you had to understand, oh, the breath is rising and passing away. Rising and passing away. That's part of right understanding. In other words, what I'm doing is to peel the Noble Eightfold Path from the book. Actually, this book I wrote it. It's called Drop by Drop. Uh, The Buddha's Path to True Happiness. This is it. (laughs) It's just the drop. Like, you see the drop? (laughs) And the wheel like this? Yes, you got it. 
it's now, not in the future when you retire to Florida <laughs> and did all the children at school got a degree and you buy a yacht and then you start eating two meals or six meals a day and you'll be happy. No, <laughs> drop by drop, each drop counts. All right. Now, um, what I'm saying, I want to peel the Noble Eightfold Path from books and put it under your nose. Because happiness might be uh, this much close and you don't know. That's what I'm doing, basically. So now, when you actually you turned your mind towards the breath and not something else like a chocolate, it could be a chocolate now, because you didn't turn your mind to chocolate or ice cream. You turned your mind on the breath. Is that it? And you understand it's rising and passing out. And then that's right thought. Because at that time, you had no greed. Eh? You didn't hate the breath. You didn't hate me because I've been giving a talk for a long time. <laughs> now it's maybe pain is kicking in. <laughs> maybe you turn your mind, not from the, uh, I mean, you didn't put it other, in other places. You put it on the breath. Right? That's part of right thought. Not all of it, but part of it. Right? Drop by drop. And then you had to have mindfulness. That means to stay in the present moment. And then you had to have effort to focus. And also you have to actually, you must have concentration, not of course jhana, the way it is spelled out, but at least moment-to-moment concentration. So every time you take a breath, you are cultivating the, to some extent the noble eightfold path. Every breath, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in happiness, breathing out happiness. That's why in my instruction, I think a few days ago, I told you, breathe in happiness and breathe out happiness. Didn't I tell you? That's what you're doing. But most of us, oh, the Dharma is in the book. You scratch your head. Oh, right understanding, right thought. I don't understand it. Oh, what? Oh, the Buddha was smart. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's for Buddhists. That's Asian mambo jumbo. Right here. <laughs> Let us sit for a moment or two. Atupamaya sabesam satanam suko kamato pasitwa kamato meta Having seen that all beings, like oneself, have a desire for happiness, one methodically develops loving kindness for all beings. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you very much for listening. Be happy. Be the happiness you want. Thank you very much. And take it to the world. <laughs>